It's time to start the podcast. It's time to hit the mics. It's time to start the podcast with Moon, P. Jug, and Hobbs. Moon, P. Jug, and Hobbs. Yay! We're broadcasting from all over Minnesota at this point in time. Let's check in with our locations. Hobbs, you're in St. Paul. Yes. P. Jug and I are in Lakeville. Mm-hmm. Magic Matt, where are you? Uh, I'm in Plymouth. Now, uh, first of all, you probably need to know who Magic Matt is. Uh, Matt and I met probably, what, 10, 15 years ago? At least. Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, he used to uh, you know, listen to KS95, and whenever he was buying advertising for his business, which we'll get into great detail on later, uh, he would say, well, who would I want to advertise with in order to get the most people to come to my business? And uh, we started talking. We found we had some mutual interests. The next thing you know, we're smoking cigars. The next thing you know, I learned more about this guy than we even have time to tell. And let's start with the treehouse, okay? Magic Matt has a treehouse that is like nationally recognized. <laughs> the thing is massive and it's like, well, just describe it. It's a two-story a tree house. I, I, I've always loved tree houses. I've been a, a fan of tree houses. I kind of found these four trees and I said, this looks good, you know, about this big. And next thing I know, I said, you know, let's make it a second story. And and now, as it was described by one of these city council members, it looks uh, like a, a, a cabin in the trees. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so envious. You have that's, to have like a second mortgage on a tree house. You well, could probably for, sell it for like $300,000 in this market right now. <laughs> it is nice. I think someday somebody will enjoy it uh, as an office or something like that, or because it's not really for kids. But the, the city, speaking of understanding, the city was very understanding. I, you know, I had, there was, a, we, we call it to this day a, a bit of a misunderstanding. I called the, the city, which, and I love Plymouth, uh, and they were very kind. And I said, what do I need? to do to build a treehouse, And they said, nothing. And I said, okay, is there anything you can think of at all? And they said, you know, don't have it peering in someone's window, you know, don't put it over the property line, but you know, that's it. And I said, okay. And away I went and built it. And then later somebody inquired uh, with the city about it. And then the city came out and looked at it and really uh, almost fell over. They did, not the treehouse. And uh, it, they said, well, we're not sure that's a tree house. And then we kind of had to get into this whole thing of what's a tree house and what's not a tree house. And, but we got where we needed to go and uh, they, they kind of just said, Hey, let, let's just get it done with, with the way we need to do it. And that's what we did. And, but it became this kind of big thing, but uh, now it's approved. It's grand. It's grandfathered in 7,400 square feet. <laughs> oh, yeah. no. How many square feet? No. How many no. square feet is it though? I think think it might be 500. It's got a bathroom. It's got everything. No, it doesn't have a bathroom. It, no, but it's got a bed. There's a queen bed in there, which I think the the squirrels were telling each other, like, hey, there's a queen bed in the trees here. Let's all get together. <laughs> because last fall, uh, we peeled back the cover. Somebody had left the door open, and under the uh, comforter was conservatively uh, 10,000 acorns. Oh, so, uh, I love it. So, Are you worried about Goldilocks? No, it's kind of hidden, which is nice. People always come over to my place and they're like, wow, we had no idea that this even existed. Yeah, that's the deal. Well, and you actually have such a beautiful place that people are holding weddings out there now and i'm seeing the you know the pictures and stuff and we just did one the other day and it was really a, it was a friend of mine they said hey we think your place is beautiful they graciously uh you know helped me get it all ready and 
uh, it turned out great. So I think uh, I think it's something we'd like to do in the future. And and then the honeymoon can take place in the treehouse. You know, I have a lot of guests that come, and nobody they don't rent out the treehouse, but I do kind of Airbnb here in my house, and it's uh, people look at it as kind of a, a magical place. That's pretty sweet. And and the reason he's called Magic Matt Dunn is because he makes a living and has for a number of years doing magic, and he's so good at it. He's in high demand, uh, and you work all over the place. How many? Uh, high schools. I just got video of you at a high school. Was that Edina? That was Edina. They, they were the craziest audience. It was like Jerry Springer. I was in their auditorium. I was doing, this was the first thing they saw for their all night senior party. They filled the auditorium. My show is usually people see it by accident and they were there and they went nuts. Everything, you know, every kind of climax to every trick on their feet, leaping over the seats, pulling chunks of hair out. I mean, it was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, P-Jug wanted to ask you a question. Which trick are people most amazed at that you do? I think it's hilarious that I still do a trick. I I did, I've done it my whole life where I reach into a book and I pull a real rabbit out of a book. I think it's hilarious that still to this day, I do that trick for kids. I do it for adults. You see kids go nuts. You see corporate men and women go nuts you see high school students go nuts. they go crazy over a rabbit they love the rabbit i don't i don't understand i mean it's very cute but they just you know they can't handle it football players a, a bunny i mean they go cuckoo that's really cool <laughs> but didn't it used to come out of a hat traditionally yes that would be the uh, iconic uh, image and i actually i do still do that trick and the way that came about that's that's kind of a funny story is i had never done that before a, a rabbit out of a hat i saw a kid once at one of my shows wearing a top hat i had made the rabbit at that point disappear and i thought i gotta figure out a way to pull the rabbit out of this kid's hat he'd probably just you know lose his mind right and i did that i'm not going to say exactly what i did but i figured out something out very quickly and then i said to him at the end of the trick i said hey hey i got a question for you and i took his hat off and i reached inside and i pulled the rabbit out i said you know why how did why did you have this in there uh, and he, his eyes like <laughs> quadrupled in size. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's got to be so fun to like inspire awe in people. Like, how did you do that? I think that's what I liked as as a kid was that element of awe. And and so for me, it's like people say, yeah, I'm a magician, and I'm not I'm not bothered by see people saying, oh, you're a magician. That I am a magician. I like being um, an entertainer. I like people's, but I love people's reaction. I think that's what got me really into it is just to see that fascination and people still think oh well how does that work or whatever and they go you don't want to know Penn Teller to this day will just tell people how stuff works people get very perplexed they go like is he actually telling me you don't want you don't want to know it's it's stupid it ruins it why would you want to know there's so little mystery left in life why not have you seen Penn and Teller live I haven't and And, and uh, then when when you see other magicians that have like made zillions of dollars doing what they do uh is there anyone that you think god yeah i don't know how they did that but that was absolutely freaking amazing yeah who's your hero matt most of the people that i would name you'd go like you know we don't know who that is but i certainly grew up in the 80s with david copperfield and david copperfield you know it was insane the stuff he was doing he was doing all the stuff that people do illusionists do now and he was doing it all first he was an interesting business model obviously worked for him he just hit one billion dollars but he's crazy he's still doing shows he is doing i think last year he did something like 
650 shows. That's crazy. It's insane. And you're like, why is he doing this? So is there like uh, a magic school? How do you learn? The thing that changed my life, there was a camp in uh, California that I went to that was up in the mountains. It was crazy. It was unbelievable. I didn't know what I was getting into. It was in the back of a magic catalog. And I said, well, you know, maybe I should go. I think I did two years, 16 and 17. And at the time, I really didn't know who these people were that were coming up there to teach us. I had no clue. I'm going to cruise that over there. Lance Burton, is, is that an, <laughs> should I know who that is? And that's, that's really what changed my life. Because then I started thinking, I could do this. And I met other people that were doing it for real. And by the time I finished college, so I did 16, so the camp was 16, 17. By the time I finished college, so age 21, I was doing 365 shows a year. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Oh, my God. And it still took him this long to get on this podcast. Huh? Yeah, come on. Well, there's a wait, there's a waiting line to get on this podcast. Oh yeah. Yeah, they're they're waiting because we're technically inept. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you too, Hobbs, because you know, Hobbs and I used to work together over at the uh radio station, and we had a magician that came to play our, our company Christmas party. This is one mm. of the toughest rooms in the world. I may have been there for magician night, but I may have also been gossiping in the hall. <laughs> and I missed a lot of the show because I'm a performer. So sorry. Well, and I can tell you the guy was brilliant. And then I remember seeing him on Ellen. He was on Ellen like oh, 10 times. Oh, that's awesome. Justin Flom. Oh, he was. I didn't insane. see him, Matt. I didn't cheat on you. I don't even know. <laughs> I know you and David. That's it. And, and well, now then, I know who was getting the gig the whole time. I think I was trying to get that gig from you. Now, why were you saying that you were the? Why would that? Why is that a hard audience? There's a lot of very conservative people. I remember oh. one night uh, we had like our our entertainer got sick at the last minute or some crazy crap happened, and they come pull Hobbs off the bar, and they're like, "Hey, you know, we need some entertainment up here." you think you could do like three to eight minutes or something like that. And she's like, well, God, I guess. And I'm thinking, no, don't agree to that. This room's like the hardest room ever. Right. And she walked up and she killed it. What pressure with the whole company. They're like, you go after Mr. Hubbard. So I had to follow. <laughs> yeah, yes. I remember that. Your boss, the man who's throwing the party. Yes. Yeah. Anything I'm going to have to say is going to be nearly as interesting. Every year he took great pride in telling at least two to three really awful, dirty jokes. I mean, filthy, right? Every year he'd come up to the stage. He's like, yeah, you know, my wife would tell me never to do this, but, and then he'd launch into this joke. <laughs> now, Hobbs, have you had tough audiences in the sense like where you get to a gig and you're like, why is there a comedian here? Yeah, well, the nightmare that you just described that you killed at a Dinah high school. I played my own high school and a senior lock-in, that 40 minutes was worse than the four years. I had some weird, like, think I was going to have some kind of, like, synergy or closure on my childhood and, like, high school years and be like, <laughs> I mean, I came back as a comedian and I nailed it. Nope. A lot of times bad crowds are just what you call your bad mood when you didn't really do a, as good of a job. But, like, I really feel like those kids really actively did not like me. <laughs> oh, no. Very picky. That's okay. Like when I was living out in Las Vegas, I was on the air out there and did the morning show. And, uh, you know, so the comedians that would headline on the strip would come by to promote their show. We gave away tickets and this and that. And the next thing I would play golf with the comics. And they said, you know something, you seem like you'd be a great MC. Would you come, you know, do the MC job at this little nice. club called mad Maddie's out on West Sahara Boulevard. And I lived out that way. Anyway, I thought, what the heck? 
So I would go up and as the guy that introduced the comedians, everyone's sober. It's very early and you suck and they hate you pretty much. That opening spot is the worst, right? Everybody's waiting for a headliner, a feature act or whatever. Right. So anyway, eventually I started, they gave me five minutes. So I would try my five minutes and it was just a madhouse. And I, I'm so glad I don't try it. I used to do some jokes on the show, but uh, speaking of something that was on the show that we got to talk about is Halloween time because Screamtown lives and breathes fear into people's minds and into their souls. Terror. Terror. I started it as a kid. I, de- I was, everyone's heard my, my boring story. I just, I decorated my parents' yard and people actually came through the house. And, uh, and then I said, well, maybe I could do this for real. That's what it stemmed from. I just had a passion for it. I loved uh, watching people's reactions and, and having people come through. It was, it was a show to me. So yeah, that's what we still do. And it's myself and a small team and we put it together and uh, we really have a blast with it. How it's scary the- is it? It's terrifying. We, we do try to make it as, as frightening as possible. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we added an attraction that we no longer have called the Phobia House. And we did a thing where we actually buried people alive. We dug a hole in the ground and we put you in the hole. And, um, and we, <laughs> I mean, you know, claustrophobia areas. And it's just, it's, uh, oh, God. You, if yeah. you think of it, we've, we, we've got it. Oh, and quick, tell them about the hearse story. The hearse story is years ago for promotion. We thought, let's get this hearse that was sold from a, a company that has an 18 foot tall monster come out of the roof of the hearse. And this company is a little notorious for not doing the best job. And I had an aunt in town. I said, I want to drive it over and show her. And I fired everything up because you got to turn on some stuff. It's pneumatic. And I drove out of my, uh, my neighborhood where I used to live. And unbeknownst to me, it launched. It went up. The 18 foot tall Grim Reaper went out of the car. <laughs> and I didn't know that and until I felt the vehicle the front of the vehicle lift, the hood, everything went up about two and a half feet and then slammed down. And I thought, what was that? And I looked behind me, the whole creature was gone. Behind me, I see sparking wires. It had hit uh, electrical wires. And that's what caused me to lift. I had snapped a power pole, a, you know, a, a cable came out of some guy's television in his living room. Oh and I oh this, is, this, this is not a joke. It was Sunday morning. And there was a church right next to me and I knocked out electricity. You know, the cops were going like, you know, I'm explaining to this to them and they're going like, Gary, you want to come listen to this? And they're calling over other cops to explain about this and they're taking copious notes. But you made those sinners in church think. It's real. You know, it'd be really cool. Can we have you back and we can give away tickets right here with Moon P. Jug and Hobbs on this podcast? We should do tickets. And I was going to say this earlier. Uh, you maybe you're on this side of the fence. I've had DJs tell me that magic does not work on the radio, but you know what? I did it once and I was in studio with somebody and I was doing the tricks. It wasn't about the tricks. It was about the reactions. The people that were watching were screaming and that made it fun. So sometime we should, you know, I'll do a couple tricks and you'll go nuts. Magic, Matt done. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And, you know, we'd like to thank Magic Matt for coming by. Uh, we talked a little bit about magic and Screamtown and all that. We talked about comedy. And if you have not seen the new Minnesota book about comedy, for the love of God, what are you thinking about? It's called Funny Thing About Minnesota, The Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of the Twin Cities Comedy Scene. 
Patrick Strait is with us. And this guy's been covering this since like 06, 07, when nobody was even covering it. And at that point, there really wasn't anybody, you know, actively covering stand-up comedy in town. Like if you have an article here or there, or if there was like, you know, a big arena or theater show coming, you might see a little write-up. But for the most part, you, you didn't see a ton about stand-up comedy in town. It's a business that can ebb and flow, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. And actually, you decided, well, if you study the history of comedy in the Twin Cities, uh, what would you do with that information? You'd write a book. Look at that. That was the that was the smoothest seg of all time, Moon. You are the king of this. <laughs> Thank um, you. You know, as much as I, I would love to say that I was just this this fountain of knowledge about comedy in the Twin Cities, you know, I, I moved here, like you said, in like 2007. And, you know, I really loved the stand-up comedy scene. I really threw myself into it, you know, learning about it, writing about it. But it was always about, you know, what was happening at the time. And as I talked to some people here, you know, I talked to Hobbs, I talked to the other folks who were in the scene. And, you know, they would they would tell me these things about like, oh, you know, the, the Twin Cities stand-up comedy scene. It's, it's this legend. It's this incredible, you know, piece of history. And you hear these comic stories, right, where they get bigger and bigger and bigger over time. And so I always kind of was just like, okay, you know, it's a, it's a big comedy town. I know there's a lot of comedians here. And, you know, you hear the names, you hear about Louis Anderson, you hear about Liz Winstead, and you hear about, um, you know, Joel Hodgson and, you know, all these different individuals. And it's funny, though, because I, I never really took a deep dive into the history until I connected with the Minnesota Historical Society. And we had a conversation and they they just kind of asked, they said, hey, you know, have you have you ever looked into this history? Like, we know there's this rich history, but we don't really know it. And it's funny because I kind of had the same the same attitude. I said, you know what? I really don't either. So. I, I sat out or sat down and, uh, you know, set out to kind of learn the, the history of stand-up comedy over, over the last 40 years or so. And that's, that's what came out here is this book. There are nationally known comedians from here and there's some great clubs. That's one of the things that, you know, when I was in Houston, there was a club there called the laugh stop mm -hmm. and it was legendary down there. A guy named Mark Babbitt ran the place and he would get the biggest headliners and because I was on a bigger radio show and they needed to sell tickets, you know, they'd come by. Here comes Ron White, 640 in the morning, still carrying the bourbon, lighting a cigar. And I'm telling him, Ron, knock oh, yeah. it off. No smoking building, dude. He's just like, okay, fine. He just kept drinking and smoking. Uh, we only uh, had Mitch Hedberg on our show one time, and that was it. Yeah. And Mitch, Mitch was brilliant. Yeah, I was going to say, it's funny because you hear about, you know, like you hear about Mitch Hedberg and it's, I feel like he's one of those guys and you know, I think there's a lot of them in this book too who didn't really necessarily get their due until after the fact, right? Like in mm -hmm. hindsight, you look back and I mean, Moon, you just said it. You said, you know, Mitch Hedberg he was incredible. You know, I, and I can only speak for myself. I know that I, you know, I knew who Mitch Hedberg was, but I didn't really become a Mitch Hedberg fan until well after he passed, right? Like that's kind yeah. of when I, I looked back and said, oh, wow, this guy was incredible. And he had such a, you know, amazing impact on comedy. And I think there's a lot of people, you know, you name some of the bigger names, some of the bigger headliners who are still out there, you know, touring and headlining clubs and theaters right now. But there's a lot of, a lot of names too, that I think, you know, if people look back on and they don't really quite realize just how big they were, how big of an impact they made, especially locally on comedy. Uh, seeing a show at the state theater, man, that's awesome. I love that. And you cross the street and the Orpheum's right there. I went to see Kathleen Madigan for there. Oh, and yeah. then uh, who's our friend from Duluth? Maria yeah. Bamford. And we used mm -hmm. to have her on the show all the time. And I didn't know really how to accept 
her shtick right in the beginning. I just ordered the book, by the way, Patrick. Can I buy the book on Amazon? You can, yes. It's available on Amazon. It's available through the Historical Society Press's website. Uh, okay. If you're in Minnesota, it's at all the local bookstores in town. So everybody's been okay. really supportive here. Yeah. Patrick, what's the name of the book? Yeah, the book is called Funny Thing About Minnesota. Funny and, Thing About Minnesota. Cool. Yep. I will have you guys know, though, that I didn't intend that to be the title of the book. Like, when I had to send the proposal in, I was like, okay, the funny thing about Minnesota just kind of sounds like a, you know, easy way to explain this. And they just took everything I put in the proposal and put it on the cover. And I was like, okay, I guess that's what the book is called now. So, so that's the, uh, that's the deep, dark secrets of the publishing industry, guys. I wanted to ask you too, as a writer, did you have help writing this thing? Because, you know, oh, it's not question. easy. It's not easy to write a book. I mean, a lot of yeah. people say, well, you should write a book moon. I'm like, that sounds like a hell of a lot of work to me, right? Because <laughs> how long did it take you start to finish? Start to finish. So the book, I started the research process and then I started kind of, you know, parallel writing and researching all in. It took me about 10 months from start to finish to actually oh, write it. And then there's another bad. year of all the boring stuff, right? The editing and the, the questions from editors and the, you know, the, chasing down photos and permissions and that kind of stuff. And that took me a whole other year. So that part was way less fun. But um, yeah, I wrote the entire thing solo. You know, I, I did have a lot of really great help from a lot of comics, you know, some of the folks on the cover and other folks, you know, who, who were a part of the scene who aren't anymore to share their stories, who are willing to really, you know, sit down and give me, give me the dirt, give me everything, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. And, uh, you know, without that, it wouldn't have been, the it wouldn't have captured the essence of what that Twin Cities comedy scene was back then. I heard that some people, some feathers were a little bit ruffled about some of the things that you shared. Oh, there were people who were downright pissed off. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, a lot of people got upset. And the reality is, is and I sound like a gaslighting boyfriend. They weren't upset at me. They were upset at the others who are a part of this book. They're upset at themselves. They're upset at looking back at 40 years of history, mm -hmm. I just happen to be the guy whose name's on the cover of the book. So I'm right, an easy, right. an easy scapegoat, right? right? For sure. I right. Mean, exactly. Yeah. Like, I don't want to say anything negative about just comics as a whole, but comics can be very, can be very tough when they're not having to, to have face-to-face -face confrontations with other people who they have an issue with. So it's much easier right. to call Patrick straight and say, Hey, this, this story that you wrote, that's not how it happened. And me to say, well, why you don't call me, call him who told me the story. I yeah. quoted it in the book. No, like, well, no, I'm going to call you and yell at you about it. Well, I wasn't yeah. there. Do you have a favorite standup that you've seen live here in, in town? <clears throat> oh man, that's a tough one. Because <laughs> we're all thinking Tiffany oh, Norton. No, you're yeah. not. No, you're not. No one's thinking that. The old Tiffany Norton stuff is good. The new stuff is garbage. Let me tell you. She went <laughs> Thank fast, you, man. Patrick. That's nice. <laughs> See what happens when you put me on the spot? You get got. Yeah, no. <laughs> I would say, you know, my, my answer, my official answer, you know, first I'll give the, the right quote unquote answer, which is, you know, it's so much fun because the Twin Cities comedy scene, in my opinion, doesn't have one type of comedian. You know, there's some markets you go to and there's there's very much a common thread when you go to a lot of the shows. You know, it feels like you're seeing the same type of comedy just with, you know, a slightly different angle. Twin Cities, you'll get a little bit of everything. You know, if yep. I, I can tell you my favorite show I ever went to here was, um, you know, gosh, this was about 10 years ago when Acme Comedy Company did their, their 20 year anniversary show. They did, you know, these shows where they would essentially put four of their, their headliners who had kind of gotten their starter, really made a lot of their impact at Acme together. 
and some of the combinations, it was wild. You know what I mean? It was like, it was some rice and pizza stuff. Like it was a weird combination that worked somehow. And the best one I ever saw was it was Chad Daniels and Pete Lee and Mary Mack and Tim Harmston, which oh, if God. you ever see any one of them individually, those four could not be any different from each other. Like that is yeah. four very unique perspectives. And it was just so cool to see that all four of their styles of comedy could just be so supported and so great. And they'd have that, you know, the room to really create like that in the same place, in the same town. I was at that next day's show. They did five nights. of. I remember that. Yeah. Okay. And uh, they came to me because I was always trying to talk up Acme Comedy Company on the show. And my bosses hated that. They're like, other people pay to advertise for Christ's <laughs> sakes. Why do you think we can let an Acme person come on for 15 minutes? If they're on, have them. It's set up, punchline, gone. And I'm like, oh, that's no way to talk to a comic for the love of Christ. Right. right? And we'd go round and round on this. So anyway... Up until that point, uh, I got to know Lewis over there and all the guys. Mm -hmm. They said, if you could do like an MC night of any of our five nights, which night would you want to do? And I said, I want the night Jake Johansson's coming to town. And the reason why is Jake and I became pretty damn good friends over the years, still are. And I have MS. And when you are under stress, your symptoms flare, baby. Mm -hmm. I'm talking flaring. And I sure. was so nervous because I don't do stand-up and Acme such a big-ass room, right? <laughs> and I, I know the history of the room. I saw Robin Williams there, for Christ's sakes, right? And so anyway, I went out there, and the first thing I did was almost fall down. It was almost like a Chevy Chase thing, right? And and then I get up and it just went downhill from there. No, it wasn't that bad. I remember uh, I started the show by saying, okay, uh, you guys probably don't know me at all, but I work at a local radio station. My name is Moon. A couple people cheered. Most didn't care. Okay. And then I'd say, well, if you don't know me, maybe you've heard of some of these guys. I said, uh, you know, uh, Dave Ryan? And uh, everybody, yeah. And I'm like, going, got a small penis. I said, <laughs> oh my God. I said, I said, how about Dave Dahl? That's a Stephen effect. No, I'm kidding. In that small penis out. with Dave Dahl, too. He's trans, right? And we grew oh in this. Oh It was just a lot of fun. So, anyway. I'm sorry, uh, Patrick. He's he did a roast when no one else was there. That's what he did. You didn't, yeah, it's fine. He's retired. So, you can you don't have to worry about getting canceled anymore. It doesn't matter. That's you can true. say anything you want to on the air now. It's great. <laughs> Moon successfully navigated all of cancel culture. He got to retire <laughs> with a party and honors and all oh, of that. Yeah. I did go out with a bang and it was fantastic. <laughs> and Patrick, I don't know if you've watched Hacks on HBO Max. Oh my God, it's really funny. It's really good. And and I talked to Hobbs about it and I'm like, have you ever even heard of it? She's like, saw the whole thing already. It's amazing. I do have to check that out. I haven't watched it yet. Is it good? I know that stand-up has kind of become the the new hot thing when it comes to developing like, you know, dramedies and like all the like made for TV kind of miniseries is now. So I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, you know what? You'll have to we'll have to cast ourselves in something. But the the premise is really funny because it's Jean Smart who basically represents the old guard. She's got a residency in Vegas, a mansion, money, success, da 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 but doesn't necessarily have happiness. Then you've got this alt-comedy, like, 20-year-old writer who thinks all women, like, it's the idea of, I just tell stories. It doesn't have to be a punchline. I don't have to, you know, like, conscribe the way that you do. 
the and it, it's funny a way the a lot of the way that the dynamics play out because the younger comic influences her to tell more real stories as opposed to her being more kind of a Joan Rivers type where it's just set up punch set up punch set up punch but like all buddy comedies they learn from each other and eventually mm-hmm. like adopt like respect each other's point of view eventually but the first season is really good and i don't That's want to really give it away good. but the best episode of the season is titled 1.69 million that is absolutely yeah. As a woman, the best thing I've ever seen happen. If you want to get the book, it's called Funny Thing About Minnesota, The Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of the Twin Cities Comedy Scene. Patrick Strait, the author, it's been a blast having you on. Oh, my God. You know more about this town's comedy scene than anybody. You've been studying it forever. Is there anything else coming up that you're working on? Yeah, you know, I think as we get into the summer here, you know, there's going to be some. We're finally... I think going to be able to do a real proper live book launch discussion here in the summertime. I'm like a comic at heart, which means that I just, I have a very fragile ego is what it means. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to do anything by myself. I'm going to try to get some very funny comics from the book. You know, I've, I've had the great opportunity to do virtual stuff with, you know, Louie Anderson and Scott Hansen and Jeff Trebino. I think, you know, we're going to try to do something a little bit later this summer with some folks who are maybe from the next class up. So, you know, fancy Ray and, uh, Colleen Cruz and Ken Bradley and some folks like that. And then I think as we get into the fall, two things that we're looking at, you know, number one, and and we could talk about this as a whole other segment. There's a gentleman who's on the cover of the book named Bill Bauer, who I feel, you know, he passed away back in 2012. Uh, He's the only person who's on that cover who isn't still alive, who I didn't have the chance to talk to. I did have the chance to talk to his son and talk to a lot of folks who worked with him. Incredible person. And every story you hear about Bill Bauer, it's kind of like the old SNL Bill Brasky, where they get bigger and bigger every time you hear the stories. (laughs) But um, as we get into the fall, we're actually going to do, and I don't have the details yet. So if you go to my website, mncomedy.com, you can learn more. But we're going to do a uh, kind of a Bill Bauer appreciation kind of event where we're going to do, you know, have different guests who will come on and talk about their favorite Bill Bauer stories and share a little bit more about his history. And we've got some old Bill Bauer clips we can play. So we're going to have that coming up here in the fall. And then the last thing, which uh, was alluded to, is, you know, each year in the fall in October, um, I've been in a recovery for almost six years now. Yay. And so Acme Comedy Company, I thank you. Acme and I have, for the last few years, produced a show together in October called Recovery Riot, which is a sober comedy show, essentially. You know, we we basically take over the club, we being, I guess, all the the weird sober degenerates, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's no alcohol served in the club. All the proceeds from the event go to the sober house that I lived in, actually, when I got out in St. Paul, which is called Stepping Stones. And the whole purpose of it is just to, you know, I know a lot of people when they first get sober and realize, okay, you know, they're like, well, how do I have fun, right? Because all I know is, you know, I go out and I drink. That's how I have fun. That's how I was, at least. And this show is some way that I've been able to kind of give back and help people to realize, you know, there is other ways to, to go out. You can still have a good time. You can still be a part of the community without drinking. So it's just kind of a, a way to kind of help people get back out there and start to see there are more ways to have fun, but not make it feel like it's a, you know, it's a weird Disney PG comedy experience. You know, it's, it's just like going to Acme. There's just a lot more juice. That's what I like to say. So there'll be more details about that in the fall as well. So I had to figure all that stuff out myself, you know, and it, yeah, was, yeah. it was a little scary thinking, Oh my God. I, yeah. I got to watch a football game without some beer or whatever. I know. But yeah. And, and turns out I end up having more fun than I remember which mm-hmm. is amazing. And if you want to watch a fun show about recovery, oh my God, watch Louder Milk, uh, Amazon Prime. It's all about a sober coach. I had to plug it before we get out of here. So Patrick, are you going to come back and talk to us again? 
hey, I will come back any day, anytime, any place. You guys tell me when and where I will be there. No, I love it. You know, I love talking to people who who love comedy, who who have been around, who appreciate it. And you guys are three of the biggest comedy fans I've had the chance to talk to here. So this has been great. Thank you guys so much. Thank you very much. Oh, there you go. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for coming. If you don't have any plans this weekend, you guys, Friday night, I will be at the Terminal Bar in headlining in Minneapolis, right off Hennepin Avenue. It starts at nine, which is about when Moon wakes up. Yep. So you've got time. Uh, we've got a great lineup and it's going to be a ton of fun. Also, this might be a little bit more to your liking because there's also shopping and uh, cocktails, P-Jug, at Ooh. 7 or 5 o'clock on uh, Sunday, Father's okay. Day. And happy Father's Day, Moon, by the way. Well, thank you very much. We actually celebrated last Sunday with all the kids. Oh, and very it, nice. It was awesome. You know what? If you didn't buy anything for your father, like I didn't buy anything for my father, and you're like, oh, my God what do I do on Sunday? Well, I'll be performing at Keg and Case in St. Paul off West 7th. And the show starts at five and goes till seven and I'll be headlining. I'll be hitting the stage about six ten. So come on down. Ooh, and, uh, yeah. That sounds like fun. If you're ever uh, trying to tell your friends about Moon, P. Jug and Hobbs and God, why wouldn't you? You need to tell them that they can find us on the Tom Bernard podcast network. If you just Google Moon P Jug and Hob P J U G G uh, and Hobbs H O B B S Moon P Jug and Hobbs. You'll see us on Spotify, Apple Music. There's a whole bunch of them. Click on any of them, share it, like it, and we're damn thankful that you did. It's time to end the podcast. It's time to shut off the mics. It's time to end the podcast to get a thousand likes. You need to share this podcast with friends in cars or bikes. It's time to end the podcast and get a thousand likes. Why do you always listen? I guess we'll never know. A fat guy in a wheelchair. What the f*** does he know? It's time to end the podcast. It's time to get some likes. Go to your computer, type it in, and you're going to win. We are out of lyrics in Boopie Jug and Hobbs. That was wonderful. Bravo. I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. It was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo. Boo. Let's put this show out of its misery. Ha, 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 ha.